Oh, I love being a mom. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't times where I, I want to pull my hair out. Would you still love me if I dented your car? Sure, absolutely would. Well, every day is definitely challenging, but it's exciting. Would you still love me if I broke the lamp? You guys have already broken all my lamps. I see a little bit of me in each of them, and that can be a good thing, and sometimes it's a bad thing. Will you still love me if I painted on the walls? Yes, I'd still love you if you painted on the walls. We should paint our door like flowers. You want to do that? Mm -hmm. Paint on the walls? Mm -hmm. Okay. Would you still love me if I broke a window? <gasps> yes. Yes, I would. And I do. Seeing the world through my kids' eyes has been the most incredible thing I have found about being a mom. You can still see that wonder in their eyes, that innocence. And I love how they think that I know the answers to everything. As soon as my daughter was born and I was able to hold her, like that motherly instinct just kicks in. I never knew true love until I had, a, had my first son. My mom had always told me that once you hold your child, you will never know a love like that. And I remember the moment that I held my daughter for the first time. I said, Mom, I know what you mean now. I love you because you're pretty mm -hmm. and you're trustworthy. Thank you. I love you because you're kind, caring, loving, makes the day fun, and makes me happy when I'm sad. What I love about my mom is her very strong spirit. I love you because you're forgiving and you're kind. I love you because you're sweet. And I just look up to you in all of this. Love you. Love you. A burst of technicolor in a world of black and white. When my heart was locked inside a box, you reached inside, and now I see my future and I look into your eyes. I see it, I see it. I swear I do, I see extraordinary magic.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the moms that are represented here and watching at home. Lord, for their endless sacrifices that they make, for the love and the tenderness and the compassion that they bring. Lord, we thank you for the sleepless nights that they've had, for the expertise they have in just about every field. Lord, for the way that they show your love and your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that the moms here and watching at home would be blessed by you, that you would bless their efforts, that you would give them strength, that you would give them power, Lord, that you would give them endurance, Lord, that you would give them your perspective for what they are doing is of the utmost importance as they raise their children in the ways and teachings of you. So Lord, help them, grant them wisdom, sustain them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy Mother's Day weekend. We're so thankful for the moms around here. Aren't we thankful for the moms? So grateful. One of the reasons the attendance always goes up on Mother's Day is because moms know guilt. You know what I'm saying? If you don't do anything else for Mother's Day, come to church with me. Well, moms, I'm counting on you because this summer we have two very special events that are happening for both our elementary school kids and our mid-school and high school kids. They're called X-Camp and they're called Rally. Take a look at this. This summer, we've got two incredible events for your students, X-Camp and Rally. For all incoming first through fifth graders, X-Camp is happening July 12th through the 14th. This will without a doubt be the best time of your child's summer. Three jam-packed days to learn more about God through teaching, slime, and games. And did we mention water slides and some epic inflatables? For all middle school and high school students, Rally is back. July 26th through the 28th, students are in for an incredible worship experience, exclusive after parties, and a giant arcade. Registration is open. Sign up now for the biggest events of the year. Register on the Sagebrush app or at sagebrush.church events. Okay, so moms, I'm counting on your guilt to make sure your kids get there to these events. And these are live right now on the app and on the website. It's only $30 to get rid of your kids for a week. So think about that. That's a bonus there if I've ever heard about a bonus. And that's a Mother's Day gift that you give to yourself. You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, so already spots are already going pretty quickly. So if you want to take advantage of that, we would appreciate that very much. All right. We are starting a brand, well, no, we're continuing a series called Ideas. 
identity. Who are we in Christ? If there was ever a time we need to know who we are, this is that moment in time. So take a look at this, and then we'll get into the message today. What defines you? Is it the clothes you wear? Is it your job? Or how much money you make? Is it the house you live in? Is it your car? Is it your friends? Is it your love life? Whatever it is that defines you, what if it was all taken away? What defines you? So let's talk about identity. Last week, we started this little series up, and we talked about the fear of what other people think of us and how we can sometimes mold and shape our lives to what other people uh, say or ask of us. And we asked our question was, do we want to give somebody else that kind of power over our life? And when we said, we got to get to the place where we no longer are concerned with what everybody else says about us, but our greatest concern is what Jesus says about us. And there were three things that we talked about last week. We talked about the fact that we're chosen by God, that we've been adopted to be in the family of God, and that we are loved by God, and that his love for us is not based upon our performance. Now, this fear of what other people think, it can linger with you, and you can have a struggle with it for most of your life. At least for me, that's been the case. I remember years ago, I was a student pastor at Hoffmantown Church over across town. And at the time, the pastor there was a man named Charles Lowry. We've heard Charles speak here a few times. Does a phenomenal job. He's a motivational speaker now. He travels the country. He's booked out several years in advance. He is a phenomenal communicator. Well, well guess what? He never let anybody know when he wasn't going to be speaking over the course of a weekend. See, there were some people that went to Hoffmantown Church at the time that the only reason they went was to hear Charles speak. And when Charles knew if he let them know, like, next weekend, I'm not going to be there, I'm not going to be speaking, he knew that the attendance would go down by about 20 to 25%. Can you imagine people going to church just based upon the preacher? That's the, we- <laughs> That's the weirdest thing, isn't it? Well, if the stars lined up and the planets aligned just perfectly, when Charles was going to be out of town, because we never let anybody know he wasn't speaking, somebody else would get the opportunity to speak. And sometimes, sometimes on a rare occasion, they would give me that opportunity. And I was so excited. This was such a big deal to the guy. And so we would work on the sermon. We would practice it. We would prepare for it. And then it was time to deliver the message. And I'll never forget that Sunday morning. I, I come out. I'm sitting on the front row. Nobody knows that Charles isn't there. We're about 20 25 minutes into the service, when all of a sudden it's my turn to take the stage and begin. So I get up there, the lights come on, and all of a sudden you can just feel the air come out of the room when they see me rather than seeing Charles. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I introduced who I was, and I began to get into my very first illustration. And right off the bat, 20, 30, 40 people just got up, and they walked out And I'm like, what just happened? Now, even though the majority of people stuck around for the entire message, those 20, 30, 40 people messed with my psyche. And I remember going home thinking to myself, is this something I said? 
Was it something that I did? I mean, am I ever going to be a, a, a decent communicator? Would, anybody would want to hear the things that God has laid upon my heart to share? It, it really messed with me. Even to this day, when someone gets up and they go out and they leave, I think, what's going on? It never occurs to me. Maybe they have tiny bladder syndrome. I, I don't know what the deal is. Maybe it was something I said. Maybe it was something that I did. But it kind of sticks with me. That's because of my insecurity that I have. Of course, my insecurity went to a whole new level during the pandemic. Pandemic was brutal on preachers all over the country. It was brutal for everybody, but for some reason, churches became the lightning rod during the pandemic. And I don't even know why that was. But people got really upset and really mad, and they sent emails, they made phone calls, they stopped by the church office, they chewed us up one side and down the other. We lost a lot of people during the pandemic. Do you know why we lost them? Because we weren't political enough. They wanted me to get up here and, and, and talk about my frustrations and my anger towards the government that we have today. Friends, I'm going to let you on a little secret. I'm not a politician. And I don't ever want to be a politician. Nothing wrong if you want to be a politician, that's fine. But I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this place, we're always going to edify and we're going to lift up Jesus on high. Let me tell you something. This isn't... <laughs> this is never going to be a place where it's a political rally. I just want you to know that. But this is going to be a place where we open up God's word and we examine ourselves in the light of the truth of Scripture. Oh, my goodness, people were so mad. And lots of people left because there were other churches that were really angry. The preacher was really angry, and so they all got angry together. Okay, I guess that's what you want to do. That's what you can do. I'll give you another one. Uh, masks were a big issue during the pandemic. And we had people that say, I'm, never, I'm not coming back to your church as long as you have to wear a mask. Seriously? A mask? You have to wear a mask for an hour and you're ticked off? And I'm never coming back. Okay. And then when the mask mandate was over, people got mad at us because we let everybody not wear a mask. And they said, we think everybody should continue to wear a mask. And I'm like, okay. I'm laying in bed at night and I'm praying, God, I don't want to do anything to mess up your church. You got to give me wisdom. You got to give me discernment. You got to help me make the right decisions along the way. And, and no doubt, our, our physical attendance has not come back to what it was before the pandemic began. And I don't know if it ever will. But I know this we're more effective in reaching people for Jesus Christ than we've ever been before. Let me tell you about what happened over Easter weekend. We put all those TV shows out. Do you know how many people watched that, that worship service? A quarter million. Yay, God. And they got to hear about how their doubts, it's okay to bring your doubts to the Lord. And that was because of your generosity that we were able to do that. I mean, God has just blessed us in ways that I never even saw it even, even coming. But my goodness, the insecurity of what other people thought, it was at a whole new heightened experience for me. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've had somebody say something to you and it's kind of stuck with you, hadn't it? Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your dad that said, you know, you're going to be useless. You're not going to amount to much of anything. And you kind of live with that everywhere you go. And it's kind of the driving force of your life to kind of prove yourself to other people. 
for, for some of us, maybe it was a teacher that said that you weren't very smart, that you were kind of stupid. And you thought to yourself, well, I, I know I've got some learning disabilities. Maybe I'll never be the one to figure this kind of stuff out. Maybe you had a coach that called you lazy. So you thought to yourself, you know what? If nobody believes in me, I'm not going to put forth the best effort that I can. Maybe someone called you annoying because you are. That was just a joke to see if you were still listening. Maybe, maybe somebody called you ugly. And you live with that every moment of every day. Words have unbelievable power, don't they? There, there was a, a milkman. This is back in the days when milkman would deliver milk. There was a milkman that delivered milk every week to this one particular family. They had a little girl. And he would always pat the little girl on the head. And he would say, how's my little Miss America doing? Week after week, month after month, year after year, pat her on the head. How's my little Miss America doing? Well, guess what? She won the Miss American pageant in 1980. And the first person she thanked was the milkman, which is a little weird when you think about it. But she said those words changed her life. And so my kids growing up, I'd pat them on the head. And I'd say, how's my little Miss Millionaire doing? How you doing? It didn't work, but I tried really hard. Sometimes the voices come from other people, right? Make us insecure. Sometimes the voices come from our own head. When Christy and I found out that she was pregnant with our first child, I started having an irregular heartbeat. I'd never had that before. And so I went to the heart hospital, and they put all these machines on me, and they started going off with sirens and whistles and things and red lights flashing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to die right here of a heart attack. That's what's going to happen. I was having an irregular heartbeat. And so... Uh, the doctor pulled me aside. You know, he's sitting there in the examination room. He says, what's, what's going on with you? What, do you? what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a preacher. He says, the job's stressful. I said, no, not at all. <laughs> he, he said, what else is going on in your life? I said, well, we're having our first child, and I'm freaked out. He said, your problem is stress. Your problem is anxiety. My problem wasn't that. My problem was my mind. My mind, my mind kept telling me that I'd never be a good dad, that I would never know how to raise girls. And, and sure enough, it was right. I had no clue what in the world that I was doing. We, we listen to the voices of other people. We listen to the voices inside of our head. And what happens? We become less than. Less than what God wants us to be. What if we started listening to the still small voice of God that says you're chosen, you're adopted, you're loved. Don't allow yourself to be defined by your social media. Don't you, don't you allow yourself to be defined by how the size of your bank account or the kind of car that you drive or the kind of clothes that you wear. Be defined by what God says about you. Be defined by what God thinks about you. Now, we're going to talk about the next two things today that we kind of get messed up when it comes to our identity. Write this down if you're taking notes. A lot of people believe that their worth is based on their past experiences. A lot of people believe that their worth is based on their past experiences. All right, let's just get this out in the open. Everybody has blown it. Just out of curiosity, confession, good for the soul. Raise your hand. Play along at home. Raise your hand up real high if you've ever blown it. Come on, let me see. Let me see. If you don't have your hand up, you're a liar, so you just blew it. So put your hand up, all right? That would be good. Right there. Okay, everybody's blown it. And that's what the Bible says. It says, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Here's the problem. Some of us have blown it so bad, what you did has become your identity. And you carry that guilt, you carry that shame with you everywhere you go. You say things like, I'll always be an alcoholic, or I'll always be a drug addict. 
I'll always be addicted to this, or I'll always be addicted to that. I'll always have a bad temper. And you define yourself based upon your temper, based upon your attitude. You say, I'll always be the one who got an abortion. I'll always be the one who did this. I'll always be the one that did that. And you walk around with this idea that you're a failure, and you have it on your mind at all times. Norman Vincent Peale one day was walking by a tattoo shop and he looked inside the window and he saw all the different tattoos that somebody could pick out. And there was one particular tattoo that really shocked him. It said, born to lose. So he goes inside and Norman stops the tattoo artist who's working in there. He says, I got a question for you. Tattoo artist looks up from what he's doing. He says, what's your question? He says, that tattoo right there on the wall, born to lose. Does anybody ever get that tattoo put on them? The tattoo artist said, well, sometimes. And Norman Vincent Peale said, I just find that hard to believe that somebody would want to have that tattooed upon their body. And then the tattoo artist said something very profound. You know what he said? He said, before the tattoo is on the body, the tattoo's already on the mind. And that's what the Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you want to allow your past to define your, your future and your present today, you can do that if you want. You can carry around a bag of guilt and a bag of shame, and you can never recover from that. Or you can accept the grace of Jesus Christ. You can accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that your sin has been washed clean if you've repented of that sin to him, and he's thrown your sin as far as the east is from the west. You could put yourself in the same company as the heroes of our faith who found a grace, an amazing grace that was greater than anything they ever dreamed or believed. My goodness, Noah, after he got off the ark, you know this, he got drunk and he got naked. And Abraham, he sold his wife for some cows. And then years later, his son Isaac did the exact same thing. What was Jacob known for? He was known for being a deceiver. Couldn't believe a single word that came out of that guy's mouth. Moses was a murderer. And yet God used him to lead the children of Israel out of captivity. David was an adulterer. David was also an accessory to murder. Samson was a womanizer. Jonah was someone who ran away from God. Jeremiah was so depressed that he wanted to die and he was suicidal. And the same thing goes for Elijah. Every single one of those guys found an encounter with a living God who found his amazing grace to be what it is. Absolutely amazing. Let's see what the Bible has to say about our past. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now we'll keep that verse right there. Do you see yourself on that list? I see myself on that list. You say, which ones? None of your business. <laughs> not telling you that. That's between me and Jesus. That's what that is right there. None of us is good. All of sin. All of us have messed up. Not one of us deserves to go to heaven. Not one of us deserves the amazing grace of God. Our sin separates us from God, doesn't it? But what happened in your life? 
You came to your senses. And you apologized for your sin. And you didn't just apologize and say that you were sorry. You said, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to. I don't want to do that anymore. You repented of your sin, and now you walk in a brand new way of doing life. Look what the next verse says. That's what some of you were. Were. But you are washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want you to get this. When we ask Jesus Christ to come into our life and forgive us for all of our sin, you take on the righteousness of Jesus. You say, what in the world does that mean? Well, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the blood of Jesus that covers over your sin. He sees you as holy. He sees you as pure, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Friends, you have unbelievable value. You have unbelievable worth because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Because you've accepted the free gift of salvation. The blood of Jesus covers your sins. And your sins are remembered no more by God Almighty. So why do you keep carrying around that which he's already forgotten about? I think of all the times God must look at me and say, why are you remembering that? It's already moved away as far as the east is from the west. You have intrinsic value. You're worth something significant. You're worth the price of God's son on a cross. I, I got a $20 bill in my possession today. Would anybody like to have a $20 bill? Anybody use extra 20? Put your hands up. You, got, you have an opportunity to win this if you'd like to have an extra. Yeah, gasoline price is ridiculous right now, right? Extra 20 would be nice, wouldn't it? The other day I went to McDonald's. It was $175. It was ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Craziest thing I ever saw in my entire What's up with McDonald's? It makes sense to me. Got a $20 bill. Let me ask you a question. How many want, you, raise your hand. How many want the $20 bill? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, there's several of you. Okay. I'm going to wad it up. Do you, do you still want it? How many still want the $20 bill? Anybody want it still? It's wadded up, though. You sure? Okay, what if I do this? Anybody still want it? I'm not giving this to you. Are you crazy? Do you not know how cheap your pastor is? I'm not giving my $20 bill to you. But isn't it interesting that you still wanted it? I got it all messed up. I stomped on it. It's all dirty now. It's all jacked up, but it's what? It's still worth 20 bucks, isn't it? How many times in your life you've been stepped on? How many times in your life have you gotten dirty by the bad choices that you made, by the rebellion you had against God? And now you look at this and you say, I'm not worthy of anything. God could never use me. And God says, oh, no, no, no. You're still made in my image. My son still died for you. I still have great and mighty plans for your life. Friends, you're worthy, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done for you. So don't let your past identify you, okay? If you've trusted in Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of your life, your sins have been washed away as white as snow. Let me give you the second thing that jacks our identity up. We believe our identity is wrapped up in what we do, wrapped up in what we do. People who fall into this trap think they got to earn love. they got to earn acceptance. And where in the world did we learn that from? Oh, we learned it as kids. If, if there's one steady thing that our society tells our kids is if they perform, if they do well, then they'll be praised. But if they don't do well, 
If they fall a little bit behind, if they're not hitting the game-winning run, you know, if they're not playing as up to par on somebody else, they'll realize if I'm not performing well, then I won't get all the praise. I won't get all the people applauding me. So I've got to perform well to earn any kind of love that's out there. And as long as I'm doing good, then I get something. But if I'm doing bad, I'm a disappointment. You've been driving around probably like I've been in different neighborhoods and stuff. And you ever notice those little signs that say, proud parent of a honor roll student, they, they put them on their front yard. You ever see those? Those are awesome, aren't they? I'm like, there, there lives a smart kid right there, right? Honor roll kid, that's nice. And you should be proud of that. And you ought to plaster that sign in your front yard. I'm a little disappointed that there's not more of those signs. Probably not one in your house, is there? I'll tell you what. Uh, you need to help your kid out a little bit, right? You know the sign I want to see in the front yard? My kid made straight C's and I'm still proud. But that's, that's not the way the world works, does it? How many, how many points did you score? How many deals did you get done? How many trophies have you earned? How many promotions have you received? And so, so what do we do? We, we work for love. We work for acceptance. And if we're successful and we're doing well and we get a lot of attaboys, then we feel really good about ourselves. And if we're not successful, guess what? We don't feel so good about ourselves. Our, 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 our self-esteem is based upon our performance. And then we take that. If you're like me, you take that and you think God's the same way. I Man, if I read my Bible, then he loves me. But if I blow him off for a couple of days and don't, well, he's really disappointed in me. If I pray really hard for an hour at a time, well, God's really proud of me. God really loves me. But if it's been a long time since I've even shot up a sentence prayer, God's just disappointed with me. Right? I mean, that's what we think. We think our, God's love for us is based upon our performance, and that's the way everything is. And so what do we do? We, we try to outperform everybody else. And so in elementary school, what, what do we do? We, we, we try to outperform everybody else in the school. We do it in middle school. We do it in high school. We're all trying to become the valedictorian. I gave that up my freshman year. <laughs> but a lot of kids, that's what they go after because how you perform is how well you feel about yourself. And then you get out of college, and what do you do? You compete with all your neighbors. You want the biggest house on the block. You want to drive the nicest cars, have the nicest clothes. We compete. We got to win. We go into our job, and what are we doing? We're going to blow everybody else away. We're going to become the most important employee that this organization has ever seen. We're going to bring more value than ever before, and we're going to get all the attaboys, the corner office. We're going to be a success. Nothing wrong with that. You ought to give your best. You ought to try your very best to be as successful as you possibly can be. There's nothing wrong with that, unless it costs you your family. Unless it costs you your spiritual health, your mental health. See, I know people who are so busy chasing this goal or this dream that they're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And they don't know their family anymore. They don't know their spouse anymore. And their home is absolutely falling apart because dad or mom is trying to reach whatever goal and attain whatever they think they need to attain. Now, how, do, how do I know about that? Because I live that. Talk about identifying yourself as something. I'm a recovering workaholic. And so it's really easy for me <laughs> to really work hard. And I mean 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And completely neglect my family. I kept telling myself, if the church grows to this size, then we're a success. If we see this many baptisms... <laughs> 
then we're a success. If we have this kind of global initiative in missions, when we overcome this obstacle, then I can slow down. When I finally hit this mark, then I can get a life. I hit them all. Successful across the board. And it left me empty. And it left me distant from my wife. It left me distant from my kids. So, so what changed for me? Two things. One, the Holy Spirit. And two, my wife. <laughs> which are very similar. <laughs> my whole life, and I still struggle with this, I think you got to perform to be loved. And then one day I'm reading through the book of Ephesians and I come upon this passage of scripture. It's one of my all-time favorites. And I've shared this with you many times before. The reason it keeps coming up is because it changed my life so much. This is what it says. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots Go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love and may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it's so great that you'll never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last you'll be filled with God himself. I don't have to perform to be loved by God. And I found out from my wife that I don't have to perform in the business world or in the church world or whatever I'm going after to be loved by her. You know, there's never been a time when I've walked off this platform and thought, man, Todd, you just killed it. Man, that was the best sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. Todd, you couldn't have done any better. Never had that happen, not one time. But it's nice to know that even my best, which isn't the best, that God still loves me. God still accepts me. That God's proud of me. And every week, I get texts from my family because they know I struggle with this. Way to go. Great job. And I'll write back, hated point one, need to work on that. It's so freeing to be able to walk through the front door of your house and know that their love for you isn't based upon your performance. And it's so freeing to know that God loves you because he's love. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything to receive it. So let me finish this time by repeating those passages of scripture in Ephesians. And I want you to make this your prayer. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, and may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is, and to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great, you'll never see the end of it 
or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you'll be filled up with God himself. That's my prayer for you. Let's talk to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, so many of us struggle so mightily over our identity. And we base things upon our past. We base things upon our performance. We consume ourselves with what everybody else thinks of us. And Lord, it's leaving us empty and it's leaving us insecure. Lord, I pray that we would be washed over by your love. That we would feel your arm go around our shoulder and you'd let us know that you love us no matter what. And that you're proud of us. Lord, I know these people well enough to know that they try every day to give you their very best. They want to please you and they want to honor you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Unless they're doing it to gain your love. Then they're going to be on a performance wheel that they're never going to get off of. And it's going to mess them up. Lord, I pray that they would find freedom in your love and in your forgiveness. So that we can be the people that you've always wanted us to be. God, make us so in tune with your still, small voice. The voice of the Holy Spirit. That we know who we are. And whose we are. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.